Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The passage we've come to as we've been going through Hebrews on Wednesday night. Uh, we've come to verse number 5. Now, we saw um, already in chapter 1, Christ is greater than the angels. Um, he continues that thought and he, he now says, with that truth being known, how we need to be careful that we do not steer off course. That's what we looked at last Wednesday night. Um, because if we neglect this great salvation he's given us, um, there will be consequences to steering off course. And then when you come to verse 5, he now, if you will, just puts a exclamation point on why... Uh, that truth we looked at last night is so important for us to understand. Because if you see yourself the way God sees you, I want to tell you, it'll guard you from going the wrong direction. A lot of people do not see themselves the way God sees them. And so this passage tonight looks at two things. It looks first at God's plan for man. And then it looks at God's plan for his son. And it is an absolutely precious, precious passage. A misinterpreted passage, I'll grant you, uh, very much, but a precious passage. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. Verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, Whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifying said, What is man that thou art mindful him, or son of man that thou visited him? Thou made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all into subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by grace of God should taste death for every man. Let's pray. Father, would you articulate this truth to us in a way that, Father, would so help us to see ourselves and see your provision as you saw it before the foundation of the world and how you see it today. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 is the verses that are very much misinterpreted. And because the debate concerning 5, 6, 7, and 8, is it talking about man or is it talking about Jesus, the Son of God? And that's the debate that goes on. Now, I don't think it's much of a debate at all because if you look at it in its proper form, it's very clear 
who it's speaking of. And I'll show you that as we walk through it. But look at verse 5 first, and we're going to see the truth about man. The truth about man. We see in verse 5 the certainty of man. He said, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. And so what is this verse saying? Well, it's saying this. God never at any time said to the angels that in the world to come, now understand, the word world there, most of the time when you see it in the New Testament, it's cosmos, which means every created thing or this worldly system. Uh, those are the two meanings of the word. But that's not the word used here. The word used here is, is a literal term that means the inhabited earth. So in other words, when he says the world to come, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about our eternal bliss. He's talking about a day when there would be a rule and reign upon this earth that is inhabited. We call it the millennial reign. And he never said at any time to the angels, we're going to give you authority in the world to come. In that day when his authority is set up on this earth. But he did say that to man. And so the picture here is this. That the God's certainty concerning man is this. That God has already determined that man will have authority with Christ upon this earth. And will rule and reign with Christ upon this earth in the kingdom that is yet to come. The new heaven and the new earth. Uh, there's many passages we could look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says it very simply. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest things? Know you not that we judge angels? Can you imagine you're going to have authority over angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now you say, well, preacher, wait a minute, wait a minute. All that's, all that's given to Christ, not to us. Oh, that's not what 1 Corinthians said. 1 Corinthians says, listen, you and I are going to be so identified with Christ, who all judgment's been given unto Christ, but we're going to be so identified with Christ. 1 John 3 says that we're going to be made like Christ. And here's the reality. Christ is going to be the center of all worship. Christ is going to be the center. He's going to be the one on the throne. But folks, listen, you and I will rule and reign with Him. And this, the writer of Hebrews says, is the certainty of man that not only is Christ exalted above the angels, but there's coming a day man will be exalted above the angels. Notice secondly the consideration of man. Verse 6, 7, and 8 are quotation from Psalm Chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. So to understand the context of what these verses are talking about, you have to go back to Psalm chapter 8. Now, if you go back to Psalm chapter 8, here's what Psalm chapter 8 is dealing with. It's dealing with the graciousness of the Lord who has so graced Himself in giving man what man needs and man's provision 
and giving mercy to man. And that's the subject matter of Psalm chapter 8. And so when we come to this verse here in this passage, we have to understand it in the same light. And so what you find first here is the consideration of man. Do you not find it astounding that God who needs no one would even give us consideration? That's what this psalm is saying. He said, look what it says here in verse 6. But one is certain place testifying, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that you would even consider him? I mean, here's the reality. God sees us in a way of being identified with Christ that will rule and reign with Christ. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying he's stepping back and stepping back from eternity and he's stepping back before there was a was. And he says, God, why would you even consider man knowing who man is? Why would you even give fault to man? Knowing who man is. I mean the idea here that God who needs no one, needs nothing, would give mindset, thought, and a way of escape to man. Let alone give man authority. I mean, my, what a God we serve. I mean, this is the thrust of this passage. Job chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? Job says, I don't understand, God. I don't understand. What am I as man that you would even consider me? Much less visit me. Well, I want to tell you something. I'll take a start out, starch out of somebody's shirt, won't it? Yeah. I mean, you and I, listen, you and I are, are, are the created beings of the Lord, but yet Lord, knowing everything about us, would even consider us. Much less show us mercy. Much less show us grace. Much less sing, send Christ to take our place. Much less that Christ would take our sin. Much less that He would not take our sin, but resurrecting from the dead, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and much less allow His Holy Spirit, His presence, to come and take His residence inside of us. What is man that God would you would do that? The consideration of man. Notice the care of man. Watch what it says here. Or the son of man, that thou visited him. Now here's where the debate comes. Because usually when we see the, see the term son of man, immediately we think of the person of the Lord Jesus. Alright, but there's two problems here. Number one, is there anywhere else in Scripture that Son of Man does not refer to the Lord Jesus but refers to mankind? The answer to that question is yes, the book of Ezekiel. The second problem is the word visit. The word visit is just not a word that means he came as a token visit. The word in the original language means to visit for the purpose of helping in need. How many agree Jesus didn't need help in need? Secondly, 
Notice what it says. What is man that thou, being God, would be mindful of him, or the son of man that thou would visited him? Let me ask you a question. Why would God the Father need to visit his son? So what this is talking about is this is talking about the care of God. Listen, it's one thing for him to even give us consideration, but it's another thing that God would visit us and visit us in such a mighty way that he would care for us and protect us and provide us and save us and redeem us. You want me to go on or you got the point? I mean, listen, God visited, God visited with Abraham, God visited with Moses, God visited with Daniel, God visited with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, God visited with Israel in the wilderness, and can I tell you, the greatest of all was when Jesus Christ came and visited with man at the virgin birth of the, in the Bethlehem. God, you would even consider us. But then you would lower yourself to visit us, to care for us. Oh, I want to tell you something. This pastor could get a hold of me real quick. I, I mean, this, listen, this is amazing to think about that God would care for us enough to humble himself and visit us. So you see here the truth about man, the certainty of man. We're going to rule and reign with him one day, not the angels. The consideration of man, God, gives us thought. Mindful of us. And the care of man that God would visit us. Just to provide our need. Well, let me show you secondly the testimony of man. Look at verse 7. Thou hast made him. Well, now, who's the him? Well, it's the same him in the bottom of verse number six. Man. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Now, you say, how do you know that's man? Because in verse number nine, he says the same thing about Jesus, but in a different way, different context. All right, now watch. Verse seven, six, seven, and eight, he's talking about man. Now, if he was talking about the Lord Jesus there, then why in verse 9 would he use the word but as a contrast? But we see what? Jesus. So in, the, in, so in verse 7, he's still talking about man. He's talking about the testimony of man. Now, watch this. Talking about his position. What do you mean he's made us a little lower than the angels? Well, in verse 9, it says he made Christ a little lower than the angels. Well, it's the same principle. What made Christ a little lower than the angels? Hey, he's God. He's exalted above the angels. Oh, but listen, when he became man, he was now confined to the frailties of man and the limitations of man. He was man, but yet 100% God. But as man, he was made a little lower than the angels. And therefore, as man, you and I are made a little lower than the angels. It's our position. But watch it. Our possession. His possession, watch what it says. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Let me tell you something. 
of all the created works of God's hands. The supreme work of God's hands in the eyes of God was man. Thou crowns him, Stephanus, a victor's crown. Thou crown him with glory and honor. Now listen. The heavens declare the glory of God. Would you agree with that? Say amen. amen. But there's something about man that declares the glory of God in the ways the heavens came. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God in his creative power. But you and I declare God in His holiness. In His love. In His character. In His nature. And therefore, before God ever brought Adam out of the dust of the earth, God had determined that man would be crowned with glory. And man would be crowned with the honor. That man would be the vessel that would show forth a God who could not be seen. Thou crownest him with honor and glory. Our possession. Well, look, look a little further. It even gets better. You say, well, it can't get much better. Oh, it gets better. Look, look a little further. His privilege. And did set him over the works of his hands. Now, what is that talking about? Oh, this takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Go back with me. Genesis chapter 1. Real quick. Genesis chapter 1. Look with me at verse 26. When God brought Adam out of the dust of the earth. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it. Take authority over it. Replenish the earth. Subdue it. And have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So what was God's design when he brought Adam out of the dust of the earth? That Adam, as his, his representative upon this earth, would have authority, have dominion over those other things in which God created. In other words, Adam would name the animals by the inspiration of God as God moved in his heart. Adam would have authority over the, over the things of this earth as God would enable him him to do so. And Adam would have dominion. You say, preacher, we don't have that kind of authority now. There's a reason for it and I'll show you why in just a moment. But yet this was God's design. In other words, think about it. Let's go back. What is man that that would be mine for him? You would even consider him. What is man that you would visit him and care for him and help him? What is man that you would crown him with glory and honor? And what is man that you would put him in control of the works of your hands? I want to tell you something. One commentator said this of this passage. He said, if there's a holy ground in Hebrews, it's right here. Amen. 
This was God's design for man. And I want to tell you something. God's design hadn't changed. This is God's design for man. But notice it gets even better. His power. Watch what it says in verse 8. Thou hast put some things in subject under his feet. All things. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. What do you mean his power? The word subject here is a word that simply means the arranging of soldiers under authority. It speaks of a conquering king or a, or a leading king. It speaks of God's design for man that man upon this earth would be kings, have authority upon this earth. You say, well, preacher, I'm far from being a king. Well, can I tell you, if you're saved today, God sees you as one, whether you feel like you want or not. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you... I'll ask some good questions. You know that? Say amen. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his, in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests. Unto God and his Father, to be glory and dominion for how long? Forever and ever, amen. Well, preacher, that's just in one place. You can't prove it anywhere else. Revelation chapter 5. Seen in heaven where the church is worshiping the Lamb of God, who was the only one worthy to open the scroll, the title deed to the earth. And watch what it says. And they sung a new song. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred. How many agree? Only the church, only the saved have been redeemed unto God. Amen. Every tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God, kings, and priests. And we shall what? Reign. Reign on the earth. You see, God created Adam to be a king over his created hands, the handiwork of his creation. God created Adam to be authority over the handiwork of his creation. God created Adam to, to bring everything under the subjection of his authority that was given by God through Adam for God's glory. And you and I, when God saved us, restored us back to where Adam was. You ever saw yourself as a king? Now, this authority we have is a derived authority. And you say, what's the word derived authority means? Here's what it means. It derives from someone else. Let me give you an illustration. When you get home tonight, go and stand in front of the mirror. 
What you see in that mirror. Now, I don't want to shock anybody. Y'all say amen. What you see in that mirror is not you. It's a derived image of you. You're the one standing before the mirror. Y'all say amen. You see, the power God gives us to reign will be a derived power. It'll be something he gives us through which by we operate under his authority for his glory. But we become his kings and his vessels to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. So you see, the truth about man is they're going to reign in the world to come. The testimony about man is God's already made man and given man through Christ all that authority. But watch the tragedy of man. Bottom verse 9. But now we see not Yet all things put under him. So let me ask you a question. Do you have authority over nature? What is he referring to here? The fall. What do you mean the fall? Well, all this was given to Adam when God created him. But there was one condition. Do not take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was the allurement of Satan to Eve? Do not. God's cheating you. Do you not know that you can be as God? Well, did she not know that God already saw her as king? She took the bait. Now, Eve's not the reason we're in the plot we're in. Adam is. Because, see, the Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. And Adam hurled us out of the garden. Separated from God. And now, as God designed, designed man to be, we cease to be what God designed. It's the reason the Bible calls a lost person the natural man. How many agree everything God creates is supernatural? But God calls a lost person the natural man. So the tragedy that took place. This is how God. God, what, what, what is man that thou would consider him? What is man that thou would visit him? What is man that thou would crown him? What is man that you would give him authority? What is man that you would put all things under his feet? But man fell. So not only do you see the fall of man, you see the forfeiting of man. 
Because when man fell, all of these things crowned with glory and honor, uh, all these things that we see here, that being having authority over the works of his hands, all things put under his feet, all those things at that moment that Adam took of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, man forfeited all of God's design, all of God's authority, all of God's glory, all of God's honor. Man forfeited it right there. Get the picture. God who needed no one needed nothing. Even had the thought of creating a man. To be so identified with him that that man could be God's representative upon this earth. And the response of that man is I want to be my own God. That's the fall. And that's what brought the forfeiting of all these privileges and possessions of God. But notice one last thing, the frailty of man. You see, Adam was to have authority over all of God's created works. Was Adam created? Yes. So when Adam sinned, was his death just a spiritual death? Or did it result in another death? A physical death. So now man, as God created man to be, would never see death. His body would never get old. There was no sickness. There was none of that. But when the fall happened, God brought curse upon man and upon the earth. And now not only did man not have control of the earth. Matter of fact, the Bible says God said instead of fruit, he'd bring forth thorns. But man now not only did not have control of the earth, man didn't have control of himself. And his physical become frail. Adam got old. Adam died. Y'all see the tragedy? See, this is the tragedy. That now Adam's become someone that God didn't create him to become. So preacher... What do we do? But. Aren't you glad when there's a but? But we see Jesus. Notice the triumph of man. Man's hope through appropriation. We see Jesus. We see Him. 
as the only one that can restore to man what man lost when Adam sinned. We see Him who is the only one that can restore back to man glory, honor, authority, kingship, priesthood. We see Jesus. You see, Jesus came to live as God created man to be before the fall. You remember what it said? Adam was to have authority over the fish, over the birds of the air, over nature. Y'all remember that? Say amen. What Jesus demonstrate why he was here. All of these things. I mean, you look at it. He had dominion over the fish. Matthew chapter 17. Luke chapter 5. John chapter 21. He had dominion over the fowls of the air. Luke chapter 21. He had dominion over the wild beasts. Mark chapter 1. He had dominion over the beasts. Mark chapter 11. And can I tell you something? Jesus Christ restored dominion to man. That one day at the millennial reign, we can, as Adam had, now rule and reign as God intended Adam to rule and reign in the garden before the fall. All because of Jesus. We see Jesus. What does that mean? We appropriate Him by faith. We entrust ourselves to Him. We Yield to Him. For He's the one that restored back to us what God gave when God considered us when we didn't deserve to be considered at all. This is the glory of this passage. But listen, not only man's hope through appropriation, but man's hope through identification who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. In other words, Jesus Christ came and took our place, became who we were, walked up on this earth as we are, as man made a little lower than the angels. All He had known in heaven was glory, worthy, worship, praise. But yet Jesus laid all that aside that He could come and identify Himself with us, that one day we could identify ourselves with Him, and one day He would come to earth, and then He would ascend us into the heavens. What a glorious truth. Just that He could restore what man lost. Now I want to ask you a question. I'm not very smart. But if God in His mercy and grace would consider man who did not deserve any consideration, would even think man into existence by the bringing of Adam out of the dust of the earth, and that man would turn his back on the Lord and say, I'd rather be my own God. I'd rather be independent of God. I'd rather call my own shots. I'd rather determine what I want to do. How many of you agree? God in all His mercy and grace could have said, I've tried. I'm not going to give man anything else but Jesus. Goodness, folks. So we have hope through appropriation. We see Jesus. We have hope through identification. He, like us, made a little lower than the angels. We have hope through exaltation. Watch this. Crowned with glory and honor. You say, wait a minute, preacher. 
I thought man was crowned with glory and honor. He was, but he lost it. So guess what? Jesus had to regain what man lost. How did Jesus regain what man lost? He had to regain it by humiliation. In other words, it was through the death of the cross that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. It was through the death of the cross that Jesus, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is by the death of the cross that God would have the greatest glory. It was by the death of the cross that God would restore to man what man lost. Crowned with glory and honor. You say, well, wait a minute. He said, he's still the one crowned with glory and honor. Yeah, but think about it. The day the Lord saved you, what did He do? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, He set you in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places, at the right hand of God. Therefore, His glory is your glory. His honor is your honor. His provision is your provision. His life is your life. Hey, what a glorious provision God made for us. Lastly, man's hope through redemption that he, now watch it, watch it. If you think about the death of the Lord Jesus, what's the first thing you think about? The justice of God. Wouldn't that be the first thing you would think about? God and his justice. Bringing forth the penalty of sin. But notice how it works. That he by the grace of God. Not the justice of God. Was it justice poured out at the cross? Yes it was. But let me tell you something. It was his grace. That Jesus tasted death. For every man. His grace. Jesus died. Why? That He would give His life for a wretch like me and you who man from eternity past was mindful of us. Considered us, visited us, cared for us, crowned us. And Jesus Christ would restore it all because of grace.